This morning we continue our fall sermon series entitled Thrive in the Gospel of Matthew. And we continue with a text in Matthew chapter 22, beginning with verses 15 through 22. I invite you to listen for God's word for you. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join together with me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, we come before you this morning and ask that you speak to us and that you quiet within us any voice but your own, that we may receive your word this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You know, the Bible is filled with great questions. I mean, take the story in Genesis when God comes into the garden at the time of the evening breeze and the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called and said, where are you? A little later in the story, after the children come along, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother, Abel? Simple, penetrating, revealing, even existential questions. Elijah was on the run for his life from Jezebel, hiding in a cave, when that still, small voice of God asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? As if to say, why are you running away and hiding? Jesus was being followed by two of John's disciples, and when Jesus turned and saw them, he asked, what are you looking for? Pilate asks a really cynical question, a rhetorical question during the trial of Jesus. What is truth? Just before he had Jesus flogged and humiliated. You see, the questions in the Bible are the kind that we have to answer to for ourselves. So maybe it shouldn't be surprising that Jesus has asked some really hard questions. I know I have some hard questions I'd like to ask the Lord when I see him face to face about dementia and cancer and a variety of things. This week in the Senate Judiciary Committee, Amy Coney Barrett was asked some pretty hard questions about her views on hot button issues like the Affordable Care Act and abortion rights. It was political theater. 
Senator Dianne Feinstein asked her whether she agreed with Justice Scalia that the 1973 decision on Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. Judge Barrett replied, it wouldn't be appropriate to share my legal views on the topic given that abortion cases are still prevalent in the courts. It's distressing not to get a straight answer, Mrs. Feinstein said. Tough questions. And I bet those who questioned Jesus might have said the same thing. It's distressing not to get a straight answer. You see, Jesus has this way of redefining the issues and refocusing the questions that we bring. And those who thought it was possible to judge him discovered they were by their very actions placing themselves under judgment. Jesus just has this way of turning around our questions with the right answers. Now, it's been said that income taxes have made liars out of more Americans than golf. A prominent citizen in Washington, D.C. once invited President John F. Kennedy to play golf, and on the very first hole, Kennedy floated this beautiful shot about three feet from the pin. He walks up to the ball. He glanced over at his host to concede and give him the putt. But the man ignored him and stared up at the sky. You're going to give me this putt, aren't you? Kennedy asked. Ah, make a pass at it, the man answered. I want to see your stroke. A putt like that builds character. Besides, it'll give you a little feel for the greens. But with an anguished look, Kennedy said, I work in the Oval Office all day for citizens like you, and now you're not even going to give me this putt? The man said nothing. Okay, Kennedy sighed, but let's keep moving because I've got an appointment after we finish with the director of the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS. That putt's good, said the man hastily. Pick it up. All right, so sometimes... A little humor at the expense of the IRS kind of keeps us all from crying. As someone once said, the taxpayer is somebody who works for the federal government but doesn't have to take a civil service examination. Frankly, most folks don't like taxes. So the leaders of these two political parties in Palestine come to Jesus with this damned if you do and damned if you don't question about taxes. And it was political theater. The Pharisees were reformers and progressive, a little socially liberal, critical, however, of what they considered oppressive Roman taxes. And the Herodians were more conservative, and they cooperated with Rome, and they profited from the tax structure. So politicians on both sides of the tax question put the issue to Jesus. Is it lawful for us, Jesus, to pay these kind of taxes to the emperor or not? If Jesus says, no, we're Jews, paying such taxes amounts to collaboration with the Roman Empire, it would be inappropriate. It would put Jesus in big trouble as a political revolutionary and Rome would react quickly. However, if he says, sure, go ahead, pay the stupid tax. I mean, what harm is there with a little bit of going along to get along? 
Then he looks like a compromised collaborator with the power of empire. And of course, none of this is what Jesus actually wants to talk about. But it was what the politicians wanted to talk about. Politics. Politics is everywhere these days on the eve of an election. I hear it on the evening news. I read it in the newspaper. It's on my iPad. It pops up on my smartphone every day. So Jesus asks for a coin. Apparently he had empty pockets. And he takes the coin and he holds it up and he says, whose image do you see on this coin? The emperor's. Well, then it's simple. The emperor must own this coin if his picture is on it. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. But be careful. Don't give to Caesar what is God's. End of discussion. And people walked away amazed and they left him. Today, a lot of us would say, okay, but I don't get it. What's the answer? Should we pay taxes or not? Jesus doesn't answer the question, or does he? Maybe when it comes to things between the Lord and the state, you just never know when you may have crossed the line. When you're giving to the state what we ought to be giving to God. And how do I know when I'm rendering to Caesar what I ought to render to God? Jesus doesn't answer that. Certainly not specifically on the issue of taxes. What is Caesar's and what is God's? That's the issue. How can I find out? You know, today, if somebody asked Jesus the same question, Jesus would face a much trickier situation. Because if, if you did a national survey today of current levels of giving to churches and the constant complaint of people about taxes, it sure looks a lot like there's lots of people who don't believe in paying tribute to either God or Caesar. It's all theirs. You know, it might be worth considering who you pay tribute to during this stewardship season. Next week is Giving Sunday, and when we ask you to make an estimate of giving to the church for the 2021 year, big challenges, bigger faith. You know, politics just makes strange bedfellows. United in their opposition to Jesus, these two groups set a clever trap, but seen through their charade, Jesus responds to their question in a most unexpected way that exposes their hypocrisy. You see, the Roman tax can only be paid in Roman currency. It's a violation of Jewish law to have any graven images, especially in the temple. But the Jewish leaders can quickly produce the coin with Caesar's image on it without hesitation, though they're in the most holy of places. 
See, Jesus gives me no easy answer. I'm not left with a clear and certain guideline to follow in my dealing with the government and surrounding economic, political order on specific issues. I'm left with a tension. Jesus did not solve my problems with my relationship with the surrounding political order, but he does define the nature of the struggle. I mean, say, if over here we have the realm that belongs to Jesus, the spiritual, the personal, the private, the religious. And over there, we have everything that belongs to the state, money and power and work and protection and security. Well, in short, everything that's really important to life belongs to the realm of the state. If I could make that kind of simple separation, then I could sort things out. But Jesus recognizes a relationship between the social order, the temporal power of the state, and God's authority here and now. And rock bottom, it's all God's in the view of the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and all that's in it, the world and those who live in it, the lands, the skies, the waters, the animals, the people, the proud, the humble, the rich, the poor, Caesar, and Caesar's subjects. Christ gives me general guidance, tells me to work out the specifics. That's the hard part. And as they say, the devil's in the details. The Lord didn't mean for me to relax with regard to relating to God and civil authority. It's Christ and the emperor. In his book, The Culture of Disbelief, Yale University law professor Stephen L. Carter writes, quote, in a sensible zeal to keep religion from dominating our politics, we've created a political and legal culture that presses the religiously faithful to be other than themselves. To act as though their faith does not matter to them. To treat religious beliefs as arbitrary and unimportant. To imply that there is something wrong with religious devotion. End quote. In other words, meaning in life is to be found somewhere else. This week, there's been a great deal of speculation about the faith of the nominee for the Supreme Court that fits that description. Can someone who takes their faith seriously be a Supreme Court justice? We seem to be uncertain about that in this country. So how does one survive as a Christian in our society? How do I avoid rendering to the emperor that which ought to be given only to God? And where do I find the ultimate meaning in my life? A popular view is that meaning in life is found outside of faith. Faith simply is added like kind of perfume or aftershave but by all means, don't take it seriously. While my faith in Christ does not give me all the answers to political and social dilemmas, 
it does stand as a great beacon giving me direction. It's not some kind of temporary escape from the cold realities of this world. This world remains what it is, the place where I live every day. But some of us are beginning to realize that what belongs to the emperor is really on loan from God Almighty. The power, the perks, all of it. Which means then, it's important for me to care about the things which are the emperors in my world. It's important to be concerned about how people are treated in society because they belong to God. And it's important to be concerned about how truth and justice are talked about and practiced in society and how we're taxed and what we're taxed for and what priority is given to war and conflict as a solution for national problems and for the environment and care of the earth and for the care of those in need. And so it's also important for me to be concerned about how those whom we empower to represent us perform. So vote in this election. It's important. You know, most crises that we experience nationally bring us together, like 9-11, flooding, fires, This pandemic, however, has separated us with our stay-at-home orders. We need to come together in a different way, both in the nation and in the church. And in these next several weeks, you're being asked to vote with both your ballot and your pocketbook. We often ask the wrong questions, but the Lord has a way of answering that calls us into question and invites us to return to the Lord what is the Lord's. Show me the coin. Whose head is this and whose title? The emperor's. Give therefore to the emperor what is the emperor's. People of faith have discovered that We are actually God's coin. We are made in the image of God as Genesis proclaims. So surely we belong to God every bit as much as the emperor's coins belong to the emperor. It all depends upon whose image is on it. Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's. But give to God the things that are God's. Amen.